0: somewhere under Seattle, Washington. It's the show you've been waiting for. Get ready to join your hosts, John and Kendrick, as they talk comics, movies, and more.
1: Now here's... Spoiler Country! Hey, if
0: you're listening to our show for the first time and you're on one of the social medias that we're on, like Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, any of those kinds of things, you should always check us out on sepod.net. But... If you want to keep up with our latest episodes you should bring out your smartphone get into your favorite podcatcher find spoiler country
1: and hit subscribe then you'll get all our new stuff and if you want to reach out to us you can do that in two ways you can call us leave us a voicemail at 707-656-2080 again 707-656-2080 or you can shoot us an email at SpoilerCountry at gmail.com
0: oh united armies of the Spoilerverse, welcome back Born country, I can agree with that. Is Mister Horsley, and today on the show, well,
1: it's part two of our amazing interview with JMD Mateus. Yeah, it is, man. This guy was such a plethora of knowledge, and not only that, just a a, a, a fun guy to talk to. And as you'll find out here in just a minute when we start this.
0: We no, no, I want to wait. Wait.
1: Nope, sorry. Okay. Before you nope. give anything away, okay? okay. Let's okay. give him a hint. All right, hint. and the hint is going to be this:
0: Picard, 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 Picard.
1: Is that where we're going to leave it (laughs) I mean That's a pretty good hint don't you think It is it's a good hint for people our age (laughs) (laughs)
0: Well do you want to give him another hint Um, I mean it's stupid This has nothing to do with J.M.D. Mateus at all No it doesn't
1: at all No no but It was just uh, a
0: weird avenue to take him down
1: it was, and we got there, and we got there naturally too. Because if you if you listen to the end of the last episode, it ends with us talking about streaming services, and then CW All Access, and then the new Picard show that's coming out, and then the next thing happened.
0: That's right. And if you don't know that Patrick Stewart is a huge fan of a certain show, or right. was back in the '90s,
1: well, you know, then it'll be a nice surprise for you. Yeah, and then from the rest of this, you'll figure it out as we go. Yeah. So here we go. Let's listen. Did you ever watch
0: his uh, HBO show that he had?
2: No, no, I never saw that one. That was oh. one, that sort of curmudgeony guy. Yeah, it's pretty oh. funny.
0: It's yeah. pretty funny. It's just so out, it's just so left field compared to what you're used to him do. Right,
2: right. Yeah, he's wonderful. I saw him years ago on Broadway doing his uh Christmas Carol, one man show. Oh, how was that? It was really good. It was really enjoyable. Yeah,
0: yeah. You know what's funny? He's a huge Beavis and Butthead fan.
2: <laughs> I think I <laughs> you know heard that? that somewhere <laughs> yeah like when they
0: came out he was a big proponent of it and then he he talked uh i don't want to he talked shit about the mtv but he did well he talked shit about the industry that was because when they came out on on mtv they had that whole episode where uh one of them is saying fire right mm-hmm. and they got under slack for that because they thought it was going to get kids to play with fire right? right yeah and he was like this is ridiculous it's a it's a cartoon <laughs> But he loved – He it's hilarious. He, I've seen him on uh, quite a few different shows talking about it, and it, it, it cracks me up because he's just like this classically trained actor. And then all I can see is him sitting in his his uh, room, and in my mind, it, it goes to a mansion, and he's sitting watching his big right. two-inch TV, and he's watching Beavis' and Butthead, <laughs> you know? like you think patrick he'd be Stewart
2: sitting in his underwear eating popcorn watching beavers and butthead exactly
0: right? <laughs> wonderful imagery there <laughs> Which, i still want to direct that short <laughs> can we just do a quick digital short with you man and this is what we want to do <laughs> that's funny
2: that's funny well now we got we got to call sam Raimi and patrick stewart because ah, we, there we, we go have great ideas here today we got a writer. We wow. need a really good director. Well, we got a writer. We got a director picked out.
0: Now
1: we just need cameraman and, and right. Um,
2: right. We can get Sam Raimi to direct the short with Patrick Stewart. It's yeah, perfect. Exactly.
1: <laughs> guys, guys, we also need funding for all this too.
2: Yeah. Yes. And, oh yeah.
1: And we need funding. Right.
2: Well, once we have uh, Sam Raimi and Patrick Stewart, we'll get all the money we need. Don't worry oh, about
0: perfect. it. Perfect. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Right. People just hear those two names. Be like, oh, take my money, please.
2: You know. That's right. That's right. Well, we've really got, gone off the off, off the beaten path here. I this see. happens a lot with us. <laughs> yeah, all the
1: time. All the time. One of the little sides were about Babies and Butthead. My mom, I was, I would that show was on when I was like 12, 13, right? My mom hated it with a passion. But then she sat down and watched one with me, and she watched the one where they cut their hair off and glued it to their face so they could be, have beards. And, and she just couldn't stop laughing. And from then on, all I have to do is make a motion about that episode, and she'll just start rolling and laughing because she just couldn't – just lost on, on that one. <laughs>
2: So you know what's, what's funny is the evolution of, of, of this stuff. Because I remember Beavis and Butthead came out and it seemed like, oh, it's so crude and obnoxious yeah. and this and that. And then like then South Park came along, which made Beavis and Butthead seem tame, you know? yeah And then yeah. there's stuff that came along after Beavis and Butthead, a lot of the Adult Swim stuff which makes, you know, South Park seem reasonable. You know what I mean? So the bar yeah. is moving, and now, like, oh, South Park. it's so, when, if I remember when it first came out, and my son was so into it, and I was like, what are you watching, you know? And then suddenly, you know, things are just, oh, that's really good, but now what are you watching? And then oh, my, my, yeah. my son actually works for Adult Swim, so, you know. Um, oh, that's cool. So he kind of grew up to be right in the middle of all that crazy stuff. And uh, There's
0: some crazy stuff out there. I remember watching when South Park came out and just being sh- shocked. I was in my mid-20s, I think, when it came out. And I just remember going, wow, what is going on here? Yeah,
2: yeah, yeah. And they're still making them, right? You know, it's amazing.
0: 22 years later, they're still making them, 21 years later. Have either of you guys seen the Book of Mormon? I
2: don't know.
0: I was in Chicago for work a couple years ago, and it was there. But I was by myself, and I'm like, I want to go see this. And then I was like, oh, I don't want to go by myself. Mm -hmm. And then so I didn't go see it, and now I regret it because um, it's just – I don't know the last time it came to Seattle, and I don't know when it is. But the one in Chicago was the original cast.
2: And it was oh, like, okay. Ah. I saw like, it on you know. Broadway a couple of years ago. And, uh, you know, I went in expecting it to be South Parky, which on some level it was. But it's a lot more than that. It's a really, really wonderful play. The music is great. And what was the most surprising about it is that with all the sort of out there, uh, tasteless humor, uh, yeah. it has a lot of heart. It ends up being a very, very heart filled play, um, and so it has a lot of things going on. And if you ever have a chance to see it, I would. It really oh. lives. It really, really lives up to the hype.
0: Oh, I want to go see it. Well, Matt Stone and Trey Parker, I think those two guys are. I, you, you can't. I don't know. They're geniuses. You know. They're like. Um, they're to me. They're like the Matt Groening. You know. Yeah. They're up there yeah. with, the, with that. With and that, and the fact that they've done live action movies like Orgasmo, which is.
1: That one's hilarious, It's
0: hilarious. And then you start watching, and you think it's going to be like this tongue-in-cheek, but there's like a lot of depth to it. At the same time, as you're watching, watching this stupid thing, and you're just cracking up. But then when you go back and you actually, if you, because I'll I'll sit and analyze a movie, like I'll internalize, think about it later on. And there's more going on there than what people, uh, if they just look at it on, on on the surface, there's a lot more going on. And I can see that. And they did a South Park episode about Mormonism.
2: Right. I remember that.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And it was genius because it's, 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 it's historically accurate.
2: Right. (laughs) I remember them
1: talking about it being like, Hey, you know, we, we we thought about throwing a bunch of jokes in there, but really we just told the history and it was funny enough.
2: (laughs) And you know, in, in a weird way, uh, although on one hand it's having fun with it, they're very respectful about it at the same time. It's really, really interesting. That's that's a fine line to walk, and they did it with this show, you know, with this play. Um, It's it's really, uh, I was very pleasantly surprised, uh, you know, that it was a lot more than I I thought it would be when I walked into the theater. That's
0: cool. See, I really want to see that. And I'm kind of, I'm really bummed and kicking myself for not going in Chicago.
2: Well, after you know, when you get all that money from from the Sam Raimi thing, <laughs> you can just hire your private jet, fly to New York, see it on Broadway. You know, that's a-
0: that's, we, that's us, JM. That's when we get all our money that's from. Right. Right.
2: <laughs> well, I, 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 I'm in New York, so it's not that hard for me to get there. So, you know, no. you, you, guys, you guys will need the private jet. I'll send yeah. mine. That? A- there you go. There you go. <laughs> Perfect, perfect. So, so is there anything about my career you'd like to talk about, or are we just going to keep talking about this stuff? Right. Oh,
1: jeez. I actually have a question, not about your career, though. What about your name? It's curious because – so J.M. I, I asked because there's a reason. My actual name is the letter J, the letter N. So my actual yeah. name is J.N. So when I find someone who goes by something close to that, I'm always curious is – does the JM stand for something or is it the reason for the going by the initials?
2: Yeah, there, there, there is a reason. And and I can use that to plug something else. I, I did a, an autobiographical graphic novel called Brooklyn dreams uh, some years ago, um, which is now, I think we did, did it did originally for piranha press at, at DC. Then it went to vertigo and now it's over at IDW um, where I talk about this story. So I'll give you the short version. When I was born, my name is John Mark. Okay. Okay. So, I come from, a, my, my, my mother is from a, a Jewish background. My father's uh, Italian Catholic. So they had different visions of what my name should be. <laughs> she wanted to name me Mark. He wanted to name me John. Mark with a C. And um, he got to the uh, to the official name people first. <laughs> so my birth certificate said John Mark, and my mother freaked out. So and so this will give you a sense of my family and my a little hint of the dysfunction in my family growing up. So, despite the fact that my birth certificate said John Mark, through my most of my childhood, they told me my name was Mark John. Okay, because oh, <laughs> my mother refused <laughs> to call me John; she thought it was too Christian, you know. Um, and whereas my father was naming me after his Italian uncle, was Uncle John, you know. And uh, and so I didn't know. And plus, my mother spelled John J O N when it's J O H N on my birth certificate. <laughs> <laughs> And my father, who had his issues, at some point when I was like in the sixth grade, the cork finally popped in his head and he showed up at school in the middle of the day, pulled me out of class, and took me to the office and he said, your name's not Mark, it's John. And I'm changing all your records, <laughs> right? So, <laughs> so suddenly all my records become John Mark, which is very confusing to me after 10, whatever it was, 10 years of thinking I was one thing and not the other, you know? And um and so then, you know, I'd go to school, but everyone is used to calling me Mark at this point. And so they'd call out John D. Mateus, and I'd have to raise my hand and go, call me Mark. And everyone would look at me like, I'm crazy. Like, what kind of nickname is Mark for John? You know what he was? <laughs> I don't understand this. You know? um, so when it came time to, like, have a career, I said, well, how do I deal with this name thing? Uh, well, it could be, you know, the initial J.J. J Mark. I tried that. Uh, was okay. Well, I figured, you know, J.D. Salinger. There are plenty of other other, other authors, you know, uh, who who use their initials. I thought that's all, I'll go if it worked worked for J. D. Salinger, you know, J. M. Barry who wrote Peter Pan. Um, it's a lot of a lot of initials out there. So I thought I'll go with J. M. and 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 that's what I finally settled on as a result of my own insane childhood. Nice. <laughs> <laughs> so that's the story, and uh, I've come to have uh, great affection for J. M. You know, um, it was really just a way out of a out of a problem, but it sort of it became who I
1: am, you know that's cool that, that's really cool it's it's funny how names work is like as I said my na- actual name is the letter just the letter J the first name and I w- I, was, I actually went by J for a long time and then I got married and my wife was like my wife found out that my parents called me John or Johnny and then so mm-hmm. she changed my name for everybody to be John so I've been gone by John for the last 14 years because my wife wouldn't, wouldn't accept just a letter for her name well,
2: that's funny that's funny I was joking with my wife recently I said let's let's change up start calling me Johnny <laughs> you know <laughs> <laughs> you doing johnny Johnny. you know but uh it didn't work (laughs) i think i think only family calls you johnny
0: right john John. yeah
1: pretty much only family calls me johnny everybody in my work life calls me john and only people who've known me from like college or high school will call me j or jn um so that's
2: funny yeah so
1: you can tell how long someone's known me by what name they call me
2: (laughs) and i know when the phone rings and someone calls and asks for john that it's either like a phone solicitor or like the government or something official (laughs) Uh, you know it's it's a funny thing
0: that's like my mom. She her, her first name is Elaine, but she goes by her middle name Carol, right? So if you now, call and a lot ask of people for Elaine,
2: that, do that, that go, go by their middle name. Yeah, I've, yeah, I've yeah. Counted many of them over the years. And Paul McCartney, his middle Paul is his middle name. His first name is James. Um. So there's a lot of people out there that do the middle name thing. I don't think I knew that. Yeah. That's your Beatles trivia for the day.
0: I like I that. Know. I'm a big Beatles fan too. I didn't. I don't think I ever. I remember waiting in the in the 90s for. Remember that. uh, ABC's special Beatles
2: anthology, yeah. The Beatles yeah.
0: anthology, I I recorded them all, and I watched it like quite a few, and I and I got like really good VHS tapes, not like the cheap, <laughs> like it was like right. TDKs, and they were Very super heavy, awesome. and I recorded all those, I watched them a bunch. That was that was great. Hey, mm-hmm. I I didn't realize you wrote the Justice League Dark
2: movie. I was one of the writers on the Justice League Dark movie. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. What what did what did you think of the final product? I mean, I thought it was I, you know the, the DC animation is so good i mean they've done such great work you know myself aside take me out of the equation you know just the dc animation over the years starting way back with batman the animated series and just about everything they've done since you know they they just do a great job there you know so that they have great people overseeing that stuff you know uh from alan burnett to bruce tim to jim creek and so many other guys you know when i was working on justice league unlimited with uh dwayne mcduffie and stan berkowitz so they have real great quality control and they have a real great vision and understanding for these characters, you know? It's not like sometimes with these live-action movies where they hand it to someone who doesn't really know comics or the characters, you know? Yeah. Which you can still make a great movie you know, if you educate yourself. But these guys know... I Like, I think Justice League Unlimited is one of the best versions of the Justice League that's ever been done, you know?
1: Oh, it's yeah. it's oh, as yeah. good
2: as any comic book version and better than most. Um, so these guys... They understand the material, so it's very rare that they come up with something that doesn't work. Um, yeah, you know, the, the Justice League Dark movie worked really, really well, and, and like I said, I, I was loved just loved that movie. Yeah, I was just yeah. one of the writers on that, so I can't take take a lot of credit for that. But um, but they did a great job, and I think they're doing another one. I think sometime this year there'll be another Justice League Dark movie out. Oh, that'll be awesome! Yeah.
0: You've done a, a lot in television and and the animation. I'm just going through yeah. and yeah. like you wrote for the Real Ghostbusters.
2: That was the first I, animated thing I ever sold. That's right. And you know who was the story editor on Real Ghostbusters was J. Michael Straczynski. Really? Uh, <laughs> yes. Yeah. So that was the first animated script I ever sold. I had sold my first TV script right around the same time to the 80s uh, revival of The Twilight Zone. That was the first TV sale I ever made. And then the second thing I sold was the Real Ghostbusters. But I didn't really get in deeply involved with um, animation until the early 2000s. Uh, I had written for, the, which most people don't even know it existed. There was a live-action Superboy series that ran for about five years. It was in syndication. And I worked on the last season of that show uh, for, as a story editor, and also I wrote like five episodes. And the producer was a guy named Stan Berkowitz. Uh, and Stan, when Superboy was over, was looking around uh, uh, for some work. And I uh, knew Marty Pasco, who was at that point was story editing the, well, I guess it was, mid nineties or late nineties Spider-Man series. Um, and so Stan ended up working on that show and ended up with an, an Emmy award winning career in animation. And a few years go by and Stan is working on justice league unlimited. And he called me up one day and asked me if I wanted to do one of those. And the story they handed me was Alan Moore's for the man who has everything. This classic oh, wow. story, which thank God at the time I had never read it. So I didn't know its reputation or I might have been very yeah. intimidated, you know, and that just opened the door. And, you know, it was before I knew it, I'd written, I guess, I don't know, seven episodes of Justice League Unlimited. And it went on from there. Batman Brave and the Bold and Legion of Superheroes and Ben 10 and just a lot of different shows. And then I started writing these animated movies and it's just been a it's been a great ride. It's a nice contrast and balance with the comic book stuff.
0: Yeah, it's kind of like a full circle.
2: Yeah, that's that's really yeah. cool. And really, which, I realized uh, that between the the animated DC stuff and the comics, I've had a chance to write virtually every DC character in existence. You know. That's awesome. Yeah.
0: Which which version of Thundercast did you work on? The, the original the, or the... the?
2: No, no, the more recent one. The more no, the original was well, that was way back. Yeah. Yeah. That was before I was working in in, in the field. Oh, um, gotcha. Uh, this was the one that was done. I guess maybe it was about six, seven years ago. Yeah, they try to make it. Really, really. uh, Michael Jelinek was one of the producers on that show, another person who's very important in the DC animation world. And they, they took the essence of those characters. So anyone who loved it from the old version could still love it. But they kind of kind of deepened and expanded the scope of the world. And it was a really good show. I think I I forget how many I wrote. I wrote a bunch of them, but the show was canceled. And I think there were a couple of episodes that I wrote that never made it to air. So I think maybe two or three of mine made it to air. Um, But it was a good show. It was one of those shows I was really disappointed when it was canceled because I thought it was just an excellent, excellent show.
1: I remember watching it when it came out. It was it was really it was really good, and I was yeah. I was sad that they it only lasted for what a season or a season and a half or yeah, something like that. Yeah,
0: not much more than that. Not much more than that. Um, yeah, that was uh they did that when They it was like kind of a almost like a Japanese animation type style, right? Mm-hmm. And but yeah. it was it was really, I remember watching it, it was really it was it was it was done really really well. And then a couple of years ago, I don't know if you remember they they showed the Thundercats. They're gonna they're gonna make it more like a Teen Titans Go kind of thing. And people, I remember
2: hearing about that, yeah.
0: Oh, my God. The internet broke.
2: <laughs> everybody <laughs> my happening.
0: age, they just freaked out. They're like, you can't do this. It was like, oh, come on. It's not even meant for you. What are you you're freaking out over nothing.
2: <laughs> That's the case with the internet. Everybody, everybody wants to freak out over everything. And right. sometimes the things in life that we should be freaking out of, they're not freaking out over because they're too busy freaking out about Thundercats. yeah you know? right. <laughs> Oh, so our government's going to hell. But you see what they're doing to Thundercats, you know? Um, it's, uh, Parties are all whacked there. <laughs> Focus your rage. You know? yeah. Um, you, yeah, That was a fun show, though.
0: Is there a character out there that you haven't written that you'd be like, I really want to have a time with that? I would really want to write that.
2: That's a good question. i have asked that a lot. And I'm trying to think. Yeah. Uh, I always I, – I, my first go-to answer is that, you know, uh, with Giffen and Maguire – Uh, I would love to do Fantastic Four because I think the three of us doing Fantastic Four, you know, to bring that sensibility that we use for our Justice League stuff uh, to Fantastic Four because Fantastic Four always, along with the big cosmic adventure, had a really healthy sense of humor and the character play. So I would love to do that. Um, There are characters I I wouldn't mind returning. What were you going to say? I'm sorry. Go ahead.
0: I was just thinking when when you're bringing up Fantastic Four, it's, Something was missing from the Fantastic Four, and when I was reading, you know, in the eighties and nineties, because I read a few issues, and I just it didn't speak to a level of wanting to keep continue to to, to read it, you know. But I talked to like friends, older brothers, or even or even dads that read it in the in the sixties and seventies, and it was all about Fantastic Four, right?
2: You know what right. I mean? Yeah, and yeah, it, that it was, was that like, was Marvel's book. That was the book yeah. that, that just every month your jaw would drop because they were doing something. Stan and Jack were doing things you'd never seen before. Yeah, uh, and I think,
0: like you're saying though, if you can get that team together and and, and invigorate some new life into it, I I, I think you got especially if you attack it like the way you did JLI, I think it would be amazing.
2: It would be a lot of fun. Um, I've heard, I hear good things about Dan Slott's run right now. I haven't I haven't had a chance to read it, but I've heard good things about that. Yeah, Byrne in the in the 80s. Byrne had a great run. John Byrne. And there've been other, you know, I think Simonson had a great run along the way. Um, so there've been, there've been some really good runs. Tom DeFalco had a solid run. Um, but, you know, when you, when you're competing with Kirby, <laughs> you know, <laughs> it's, it's, it's not easy. It's not easy, you know, competing with this, this towering genius. And then you put Stan and Jack together and it's, you know, even if you're doing a good job, this is a level where it's just not going to compare.
0: If you could go back and do Dr. Fate again, would you do that? <laughs>
2: Doctor Fate, no, because I really feel like that, we're talking about you know that 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 period in the eighties where there was so much freedom. This was an established DC character that I basically disassembled and reassembled. It was almost like a Vertigo book that they yeah. let me do exactly the way I wanted to do it. And between the, the I did a mini-series that Keith uh, Giffen drew, and then I did two years of an ongoing with Sean McManus, one of my favorite projects that I've ever done. That I got to do exactly the way I wanted to do it, and I actually told a story that ended. When that two years was over, that story and that version of Dr. Fate was over, and they rebooted it when the next writer came on. So I I, I can't see returning to that, because I really said everything I wanted to say there, whereas, say, Dr. Strange is a character I'd love to return to. Um, oh, that'd be cool. You know, Dan Green and I did a, a, a Dr. Strange graphic novel called Into Shambhala, which is one of my favorite things that I ever did, and I had a short run on, on the, the Dr. Strange ongoing series, a sort of short kind of frustrating run because by the time i was three issues in they already announced that the book was canceled you know (laughs) um and then i spent my last issues uh, they asked me to tie up loose plot threads from other people's stories so i never got to do it was fun because it's because i love dr strange it's always fun but i never got to do the dr strange that i wanted to do so that's the character i'd love to return to i love the supernatural characters i mean dc has an incredible deep bench of supernatural characters, which is why writing the Justice League Dark comic, and I was writing Phantom Stranger at the same time, just a few yeah. days, maybe, maybe a four or five years ago. Um, it was great because oh Swamp Thing, yeah I can write Swamp Thing. Ooh Phantom Stranger, oh this one, oh that one. You know I could pull whatever characters in that I wanted. And I, uh, the, you know, Marvel has a few good supernatural characters, but they don't have the the deep bench that DC does um dc just just has an endless supply of the specter and you know constantine and just all these great supernatural characters
0: um it's hard to beat
2: yeah so writing writing justice league dark was a great gig writing that comic that was one also i, I did it for about a year and a half and then the book got canceled um and i was really sad when that was over because i could now it's back i could yeah thank god uh, i could have kept writing that book for years i had years more stories in me on that one. Oh, they should have they should
0: they should actually come back and do some new ones
2: well, I guess, well, like, you know, I don't want to, I don't want to take anybody's job away from them. you know. <laughs> right. Right. Well, <laughs> but yeah, it's, it was, it was a really fun book to write a really fun book, but you know, that's the nature of the beast. When you're working on these, what are commercial properties, no matter how much you love it, if the sales aren't where they want them to be, the book is gone and there's nothing you can do about it.
0: Yeah. We had Jerry Conway on, um, a couple of weeks ago and we were talking about bringing on new characters mm-hmm. and he made a good point. He's like, look, uh, he, he loved working with dc and, and and doing that and working on all these in, in marvel and and you know doing some of these classic storylines and he understood that these are their those characters are theirs
2: yeah. you know
0: he goes but if you're going to create a new character and and you have a love for it then you definitely don't want to publish it publish it within marvel or dc because it's you know then it's it becomes their property because take it to the right. independence and go with that is there is there any characters that you like I developed this character and it's in Marvel or it's in DC and I wish I would have done it with an independent because I really would love to go back to it and uh, and, and rewrite some stuff.
2: Add to the not, lore, so to speak. Not 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 many that I can think of. You know, the only thing that comes to mind is something very, very obscure. Mm-hmm. I did a, a graphic novel at the beginning of the, of the Marvel graphic novel era called Greenberg the Vampire, which is one of the best. Uh, I originally did it as a short story in a, in a Marvel black and white magazine called Bizarre Adventures. And, and a, a couple of months after that, Marvel started the whole creator own thing. Yeah. So had I done that a few months later, because it really was a creator-owned kind of thing. It was a very quirky, odd story about a neurotic Jewish vampire who's also a <laughs> horror novelist. You know? and, and along with Moonshadow, it was one of those projects that allowed me to really find my voice. And then we did a, a graphic novel, Mark Badger and I, that, that I consider one of the best things I ever did. But because I did it for that magazine before they had the creator own thing – That's a property that Marvel owns, and it's not exactly a character that everybody ran back to. To oh, I want it. So it's not like there's other people out there writing Greenberg the Vampire. But uh, but I would love I would love to get that that character back. And had that happened a few months later, it probably would have been like an epic comic, and I would have owned it. You know? Yeah, yeah. Uh, But in terms of the other characters that I may have created for the Marvel or DC universes, the flip side, and Jerry Conway of all people uh, uh, understands this because turn on your TV for these shows and half of the characters that you're seeing are characters that Jerry created. I mean, it's amazing how much of this stuff is out there. Um, And, and we do get compensated for that and maybe not compensated on the same level as if we completely own the character. But, you know, if they use those characters in a big way, you can get significant compensation for it. So there is that too, that, you know, and especially now when it seems like they're just digging through and pulling out characters that are like so obscure that you would never have thought of. And suddenly, you know, they they they're using them you know uh, so so the opportunity now with all these movies and TV shows is out there for our characters to get exploited in the media and for us to get some some payback for that which is a good thing which is a good thing yeah it is but, a good thing but but i'm lucky in that that really starting with the epic stuff in the 80s i've always gone back and forth between the mainstream stuff and the creator-owned stuff, you know, especially back then. You know, now it's very common for people to do that. Back then, it wasn't that common, and I made sure I kept doing that with Epic and with Vertigo and Piranha Press, and just making sure I always had something of my own that was completely mine to work on. Because as much as I love the superhero universes, and I do, if I had yeah. only been writing superhero comics, I think my brain would have imploded. You know, yeah. It was nice to be able to then step out of that and do Moonshadow or Blood or Seekers into the Mystery or whatever, uh, Brooklyn Dreams or whatever it may be, right, whatever my, or more recently something like Girl in the Bay and Impossible Ink, stories that I know that I own. They're my own universe. They're my own characters. I don't have to worry about any of this stuff. You know, There, there is one story that started as a Marvel story and ended up as a creator-owned series, uh, which I did for IDW about 10 years ago called The Life and Times of Savior 28, which you know if you're a fan of my stuff and you've never read it I also think is one of the very best things they ever did and it started as a Captain America story. Oh uh, uh, yeah. I had been writing Captain America for like 3 years and uh, and had reached this sort of developed this like one story with the Red Skull that had gone on for like a year and a half or something. Yeah. Killed Red Skull and, and brought Captain America to a point of major change for the character and I pitched this idea that after 40 years what well, at that point was 40 years of like punching bad guys in the face and having this horrible encounter with the Red Skull that threatened everyone he knew and loved, that he, a guy like Steve Rogers would say, you know, there's got to be a better way to make change in the world than punching people in the face and dropping buildings on their head. So right. it was all about Steve searching and finding another way and deciding to become a global peace activist. Uh, meanwhile, you know, the, the, the Bucky of the 50s, who was sort of his partner at the time, is freaking out about it. Long story short, Bucky ends up assassinating Captain America. It's a whole. It was a whole thing. I pitched it to, <laughs> I pitched it to Mark Gruenwald he liked it. And then word came down from Jim Shooter, we're not doing that story, which, you know, he was the editor in chief. That was his right. He didn't think it right. was right for the character. That sounds amazing. I was, I was pissed <laughs> I off. I want to read that. I, I was pissed. Well, you can read it. That's the fun of the story. I was pissed off about it at the time. But now I look back and I go, you know, that was Jim's prerogative. He was the editor in chief, he was a custodian of those characters. And it comes back to just what you said we don't own those characters, they can do whatever right. they want with them. Right. So I grumbled and I walked away and I quit the book and but I kept playing with that idea for years. I mean for years. This was like 1983 when the Captain America thing got turned down. And oh, wow. um, and and so every few every once in a while I would dust it off, I'd rework it, I'd pitch it somewhere and people just didn't get it, you know? And literally 20 years went by. Probably 2009. We're in 2009 now. And my buddy Mike Caballero and my artist friend who also was the artist on Impossible Incorporated uh, uh, he had shown me some work he'd been doing in sort of a Kirby style. He'd been playing with a Kirby style. I said, well, that would be great for this idea that I've had for 20 years, you know. And yeah. he said, oh, I love this. Let's do it. So I pitched it. I sent it over to Chris Ryle uh, over at IDW. Chris, one of the nicest guys and best editors in the business. And one of the great things about Chris is he's also one of the most responsive editors. So I send Chris an email. And I blink, and like 15 seconds later, he's answered me, you know? (laughs) Uh, So I I literally, this is a story that I've been trying to sell for 20 years. I pitched it to him in the morning, and I had an approval by the afternoon.
0: Oh, that's cool.
2: Um, You know, so it took 20 years to get a same-day approval, and I took the the, the the germ of that idea. And what I did was I created my own superhero universe with this character called Savior 28 as the stand-in, you know? Who's sort of a mashup of Captain America and Captain Marvel and Superman. And it became, and because I was free and I wasn't in working in somebody else's universe to tell it exactly the way I wanted to tell it without worrying about someone saying, you can't do that or you can't do this. And I think a, it's the single best superhero story I've ever written. And B it's just one of the best things I've ever done. So it's out there from IDW. So, um, Um, I guess this turned into another plug, but it's a story that really, because it's, it's, I love superheroes, but there's an underbelly to the superhero universe. And the underbelly is that there's always the subtle message and sometimes not very subtle that in the end, the way your problems get solved and the way the world works is you solve your problem by dropping a building on the bad guy's head. And no matter how much we layer, you know, emotion and psychology and philosophy on top of that, there is this dark message that, that is being communicated. So that story is my way to really, really pull that underbelly into the, into the foreground and explore that through this character of Savior 28, who's a very damaged uh, and yet iconic superhero. And his struggles as he tries to walk away from the only thing he knows, which is to punch somebody in the face, you know, and yeah. wh- where it goes Sold. from. Um, it's a story I'm very proud of.
0: So uh, if you, you like- sold me on it, I, I am, I'm going to order that one because that sounds awesome. You don't get, so Jay, I'm not to, I mean, I'm not blowing smoke. I think what I love about the stories that I've read from you is the character development and, and the breaking down of the people that you do, as opposed to just a, we read the Superman story one time that we talked about, and it was just so odd because it didn't make any sense right the at the end of the at the end of the book the 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 bad guy had totally wrecked the city and then just flew off and superman's like oh don't worry about it you know for lack of a better term and the only reason that we were talking about that book is because we had the artist on and he was the same way it was such an odd it was a fill-in story so it didn't really mean Mm -hmm. anything Mm
2: -hmm.
0: but it was but there's a lot of books that are that way where it's just everything's just kind of glossed over you know and that's what i like so when you're talking about breaking these people down and talking about you know at the end of the day you're still going to rack this building on somebody's head because that's what you are but you're going through all these emotions mm-hmm. um mm-hmm. that's exciting that's what i loved about the uh, the boys on amazon prime
2: yeah i was surprised at how good that was that oh, was uh me too when I first i hadn't read the comic you know when i first was either have i it, i was like Oh, it's another one of these ultra violent blah, 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 but that, you know, but the characters were really fascinating. And I, and once, you know, after a couple of episodes, I was in, you know, all the way, but that's yeah. what, you know, that's what matters to me as a writer. You know, I am interested in the, on my, on my best day or on my worst day. And it may be a shitty story, but when, yeah. when it's done, but I've tried my best to kind of, t- I like to say that we, what my goal is to peel off the top of the character's head. And then get in there with a flashlight and root around. And if it's an iconic character that we've known for 80 years, find some corner of that psyche that you can play with and illuminate that maybe we haven't seen before. You know, tell me a story that matters psychologically and emotionally and even spiritually. You know, get in there and and dig. And to me, that's what makes great stories. And all the other stuff is the one, you know, in superhero comics, you know, the flying around and the punching the and the hitting and the... And the, or the cosmic concepts that's you know always yeah. fun too. I love that's one of the fun things about writing uh, Impossible Incorporated because you get to play with these cosmic concepts and get sort of philosophical and quantum physicsy and all that kind of stuff. You know, yeah. but yeah. It, it all no matter what kind of story you're telling, if it's not rooted in characters that you really really care about, then it doesn't matter right it just doesn't matter you have to care and the way you make people care is to reveal the characters and so while you're digging in that character's head and ultimately those characters are an extension of who you are so what you're really doing is 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 taking off the top of your own head and rooting around or take i always say you have to tell my in my classes you got to metaphorically kids take a knife dig it into your chest and bleed onto the pages you know because that's what makes a great story and people know that. To go back to what we were talking about with Craven, I was going through a miserable time when I was writing that story. But the yeah. truth truth of what I was going through was getting filtered through those characters. So I think that's another one of the reasons why that story still resonates, because those emotions are very raw and very real, because they came from my heart, you know?
0: That's awesome. Was it very cathartic writing that storyline?
2: You know, that's interesting. You Sometimes you're not even aware of how, how that it's so autobiographical. You know, you think I'm just writing the story, then you realize after the fact, I poured all my pain into that story, you know? Yeah. Or all my joy for that matter, you know? Um, yeah. So, um, Was it? It probably was cathartic on some level, but it took me a while to get out to crawl up out of that grave the way Peter did. It took me, you know, probably another year or two to get out of that grave. Whereas Peter got to do it in six issues, you know. Right. (laughs) (laughs) But that was like me saying, you know, that was my journey. That was my journey. You know, I had a, you know, out of this metaphorical grave that I was in in my life, I had to find my way to the light and to, you know, my own uh, whatever Mary Jane symbolized in that story to love and light. And I realized that each of those characters, in some way, was an aspect of my story. You know, part of me felt as batshit crazy as Craven, as yeah. as small and trapped in the sewers as as Vermin was. You know, and you know you can't draw a literal line and say this is literally me in any way. But in terms of you know aspects of our psyches and what we're going through, those characters were all symbolic in some way of things I was going through.
0: That's amazing. I I, I love that you just kind of I have this big grin on my face because I love how you just explained all that because when i'm reading that book those are a lot of the emotions that i'm having is going through going all these things that are happening to, to all these different people crescendo into this one thing when when you're writing it and you presented it and you said hey at the end this is going to happen was nobody, there any
2: nobody batted an eye it's not wow. when i look back on it i think it's amazing at the time i was like cool they like the story you know yeah. nobody said oh you can't do that and it was it, shocking, you know, uh, and, and it was shocking. And I didn't, you know, sometimes, you know, you get deep into a story, you're involved in a story. You're not thinking about this will be a shocking moment. You're just thinking, this is the moment that's right for this story, you know? Yeah. And it's only after the fact that you realize, oh, this blew people's minds. You know, oh, I wasn't thinking about that. I was just thinking, this is, this is the ending that, that is just right for this character. This is the train that he's on. And this is the only way this story can end. Oh so, my God. Yeah.
0: Yeah. I remember no, reading that no last said panel, yeah, going, wow, what? It blew my mind. It literally blew my little thirteen-year-old mind. Going, what did I just read?
2: <laughs> right. <laughs> Spider-Man supposed to be making jokes here, but you know, the truth is, if you go back and you read the the early Spider-Man comics, I mean, they were very funny. Stan had a great sense of humor, but it yeah. was always melodrama, and some of the stuff got very dark, especially the Ditko. Ditko could go very dark with that stuff, you know? And this was sort of an app. But that was, at the time, as dark a Spider-Man story as ever it had been told, you know? And I look back and I go, wow, I got away with that. And they were just like, yeah, go ahead. You know? <laughs> Do it. <laughs> this is great. That's great. Go ahead. What's
0: uh, When you go through and you want to write, is there a favorite genre that you like you know, to write the- in?
2: The fun of what I've done is that I've gotten to work in so many genres. I've done straight superheroes, you know, or or my superheroes are usually sort of psychologically based superheroes. You know, Uh, Griffin and I have done the funny stuff. I've done autobiographical comics with Brooklyn Dreams. I've done a lot of stuff that's that's aimed at all ages. So kid-friendly material, uh, kid-friendly fantasies. Um, I've done sort of the, you know, the vertigo-ish creator owned. I don't even know what to call that genre, just sort of, Dark fantasy, maybe. Um, you know, so I've, I've got – and then I get to do all the animated stuff. So I get to work in a lot of different genres, and that's one of the things that's been so much fun for me. I'm working on a project now. I can't say much about it, but it's, it's, it's a supernatural Western. I've never done one cool. of those. Before. That sounds that's not cool. It's going to be fun, you know? Yeah. Um, I didn't even know I liked Westerns until one day this <laughs> idea – like, you know, what happens to me is I start to see movies in my head, and I woke up one morning, and, oh, look, there's a movie in my head. Oh, look, it's a Western. Oh, look, I think it's a supernatural Western, you know, and I'm sort of (laughs) discovering it the same way an audience would, you know, so that's the fun of it to just to hop around and do different things. And yet you hope that as a writer, there's a there's a there's a unifying voice or point of view that brings all those stories together. You know, if you look at my work, you'll find a lot of recurring themes, you know, and I would say basic themes like, you know, Uh, our search for personal identity or our search for a cosmic identity, you know, it all comes down to in some way, shape, or form, who am I, you know? Uh, Whether it's who am I psychologically, who am I cosmically, who am I spiritually, uh, who we think we are versus who we really are. And then there's always that thread which we're all working through in our lives in some way of family and just family dysfunction, whether it's working out your relationship with your father, you know, through writing these, these characters, you know? So, so there were there are themes that recur. Whether and a lot of times we as writers are not conscious of the themes until little time goes by and 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 you look back on the work and oh I see there's a theme repeating through all these stories. Isn't that interesting? You know, you think yeah. you're just telling the story. That's why I always say even if you're reading. I don't know, Edgar Rice Burroughs, and you think it's just entertainment. He's just writing about John Carter of Mars or Tarzan. I'm sure if you really knew Edgar Rice Burroughs well, you could find his whole childhood in there and recurring themes. And he's probably, you know, through the Martians and through the jungle, he's working at all his own issues, you know? Um, and it doesn't matter how, quote, escape is something seems. Everything on some level is autobiographical. And yeah. sometimes it takes years to look back and realize how nakedly autobiographical some piece of work was you know yeah. um and that's the fun of it that's the fun of it so you know awesome. it's like it's therapy on one level for as writers it's it's pure therapy and then someone gets to pay you for your own therapy you don't have to pay a therapist you get paid for therapy <laughs> you get gonna flip that you're flipping that's it that's right it's a nice kid. a nice hey, you kid. Know? before we let you go
0: you mentioned brooklyn dreams you said it was autobiographical yes um in a lot of ways for you is that available and is it something that somebody can go out there and get today and, and it, check it out? Because I'd love to check it
2: out through IDW. I think right now the print version is not available. I hope they'll get it back into print soon. But I know it's available through Comixology. The digital version is absolutely available. Oh, perfect! So and what's so um, out there? And like I said, that you know, if I was going to name three things, that's my I think it's the best thing I've ever done. That's in the top three, maybe even the number one spot. So oh, that's awesome! Uh, yeah, yeah.
0: Well, there you guys go. You heard it here first. Brooklyn dreams. Check it out.
2: (laughs) Yeah, that's what I mean. People know me from, you know, like if they know me from superhero stuff, they don't necessarily know, say, my Vertigo or my creator-owned stuff, you know? Yeah. I I go to conventions, there are people that will bring up you know, Brooklyn dreams and Moonshadow and the girl in the bay. And they have no interest in the Spider-Man stuff that yeah. are Spider-Man fans. And, you know, I, I, can't tell you how many copies of Craven's last hunt I sign at conventions and oh, there they, sure. <laughs> people that are fans specifically of the, of the, of the funny stuff that I do with Giffen, you know? So this, I have like different audiences and one audience isn't necessarily aware of the stuff from the other corner of my work. So a Justice League fan may not know about Brooklyn Dreams. A Brooklyn Dreams fan may not know Craven's Last Hunt. You know, it's it's interesting. And then there are the animation fans. I, what I discovered in all these years writing for animation is that there are people that are just into the animation. And they're into these characters through the animation. And they're not necessarily comic book readers. Right. So it's really interesting how these audiences divide. And when you work in so many different styles and genres the way I have, you have different sub-audiences out there. Yeah.
0: Yeah, well, your imprint is all over the place. I mean, just go look to your Wikipedia page, and it is crazy the amount of stuff that you have worked on throughout the years. Yeah, I I, I can't imagine. I I have probably read forty percent, if that, of the things that you've been a part of, and it's just like there's so much stuff. And and so when you're talking about some of your creator own stuff, like the Brooklyn Dreams and the Girl in sure. the Bay, yeah. yeah, and it makes me want to go back and read that stuff because it's you know it's a little bit more. So great. Great. Well, thank you it's, so much for coming been, on today. This has been, been awesome.
2: Yeah, yeah, I've, I've enjoyed our little detours into nonsense along the way too. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it, we, we can't. It, we have a whole
0: series of, of of podcasts that we do, and we call them Tots, and it uh-huh. stands for the tangent of tangents because uh-huh. we we just go off, and it's so funny, J M. Those end up being our most popular episodes.
2: Yeah, I could understand that, and 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 you know, for me too, it it, it makes it more interesting because sometimes. Look, I'm very proud of something like Craven's Last Hunt, but yeah. I've been asked about it a thousand times over the years, and I'll always yeah. be happy to talk about it. But when we were able to get off into something else mm-hmm. that you know don't usually talk about, it's a, it's a, it's a good thing. And I had a, to get some of that out of the way. Oh
0: no, no, and I'm not complaining.
2: I'm not complaining I'm happy to talk about oh, 100%. It, I, I, I talk about other things which is why like at the beginning of the show I want to talk about what's happening now just yep. not just what happened 30 years ago because yep. I got a lot of great stuff happening now yeah once do. we've done that then I'm happy to talk about the other stuff too yeah right? yeah exactly
0: well it's just it's just it's just fun because why well, you know I got all my questions out of the way that that have been bugging me on Craven's not bugging me but you know in my head going I really want to ask about you know these things that happened in Craven's last night and, so, and we got to do that. And then we talked, you know, and then we got to have a, a full conversation about everything else, which is even more fun.
2: Right. I think it's the first time I've discussed Beavis and ButtHead on a podcast. So you you get the award for that one. That's awesome. <laughs> nice. <laughs> that, that just came naturally. Let too, alone like, the, out combination, of the combination of Patrick Stewart and Beavis and ButtHead. You know. What I'm <laughs> right. So it's, well, it's, it's, it's just a unique experience. for me.
0: See now, when somebody asks you about doing a Craven's Last Hunt movie, you can say I'd really like to see Tobey Maguire and Sam Raimi do it.
2: Yeah, no, and I gotta tell you, I'll say it again. That's a brilliant idea. <laughs> oh, a man. Brilliant idea. <laughs> I love it. So thanks
0: for well, that. <laughs> well, thank you so much for coming on. We hope like we can reach out again in the in the future and hopefully you'll yeah, we'll be absolutely. enticed to come on. Anytime you have anything coming out, JM, just let us know if you if you think of it. Say, oh, I remember those guys. Tell us. We have um we have staff writers on our website. We have multiple, we have a network, we have multiple podcasts, and we can pump it all out. So
2: let That's us know. We'd, we'd love and to do that. Feel, feel free to invite me back anytime. Oh,
0: you're the man. All right. Thanks. Great to talk to you guys. Thanks so much. Thanks, Jan. Have a good day.
2: Take care. Bye-bye. Bye.
0: All right. Well,
1: what would you guys think? Well, I'm the only person here, so I thought it was great. I mean, well, they're listening, but they, they, can, they can answer you, but you're not going to be able to hear them. No matter no, how hard but you to try, they can
0: answer me on Twitter. They can answer me on Facebook. Oh, they, they can answer us yeah. on Instagram. They could. They, they could, could. They, they, sh- could go they to scpod.net. Hear this episode and answer
1: us right on our own website, which is the preferred way. Yeah, they could comment down below at the bottom of the page and, and, and tell us and answer your question perfectly. There you go. See,
0: I can't interact.
1: Yay. <laughs> <laughs> hey, I
0: hope you guys really enjoyed that. I know I had an amazing time with, with Mr. DiMatteis. He's a very nice man. and Oh, yeah. He's done a lot in the industry, and he's super, I mean, he's a super great writer.
1: He is. He is he's got, and he's such a diverse writer, too, in different genres of what he's written into as well. As you find out on the episode, he talks about how he has fans from the different sections of things he's written, which don't really cross over, which may not cross over.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I I would highly suggest getting out there and and reading some of his stuff because you're going to be pleasantly surprised. He is somebody that writes more character-driven storylines. And so if you like that look inside your favorite character's head, be it superhero or be an independent comic that he's written or anything like that, you're really going to enjoy the stuff that he's done.
1: I agree. I agree. And read Craven's last Son if you haven't read that one because it's amazing and read Moonshadow if you haven't read that one oh it's also God. amazing
0: you know the, the nice thing in part one he literally called my idea
1: genius and he he, he reiterated that at the end of part two as well yeah and so.
0: I, I, I'm I not gonna lie
1: I felt a little tinge of pride in that one
0: <laughs> as, as you should <laughs> alright guys I think that's a show
1: <laughs> that's a show man
0: please go back check out our back catalog see all the people that we've been talking to you're gonna be shocked at some of the people on there and just some of the fun conversations we've had And who you get to learn And maybe yep. you'll find your favorite interviewer Maybe, maybe you prefer to listen to Johnny and I When we do our interviews Or maybe you want to hear Casey do his interviews Or maybe you like it when Jeff and all of us Jeff Haas and Casey are doing Or Jeff and, and me and Johnny Or all of us are doing all at once <laughs> Like we have done Or but, some combination of, of all that Yeah, there's combinations of all that there for everybody So there's something for everyone uh, if you, And if you do enjoy it, you know, tell your friends you know, share the love and share what we've been doing because I think we've been putting out some stuff that's pretty special now.
1: I think so, too. And I have a lot of fun doing it, too. There you go. Yeah.
0: I love doing this. Yeah. All right, guys. We're out of here. Don't forget to open the mind
1: and read more and go to Patreon. Patreon.com slash split country. A little something special here. Here's a five minute excerpt from our second ever episode of Craven's Last Hunt where we talk about this book and uh kind of talk about what it would take to make a movie out of this. So here is Kenner kind of talking about it on our second episode back from 2017 of Craven's Last Hunt.
0: But definitely if you haven't read it, it's one of the best Spider-Man stories ever told, I think.
1: Well, I mean, it's, it's it's an yeah, it's best non Spider Man Spider-Man story because it's, it's really right. it's about Craven and the backup story about Vermin, which was
0: one of the greatest stories that involves Spider-Man. Ever told. <laughs> <laughs> and in vermin was a great addition to it. I mean, he was creepy and he's eating people and it's like, right. Whoa.
1: And like you the know, way, the way that they, I know, what, what, got me is the way Craven used vermin in the last or in issue five. Or, yeah. Uh, to kind of see his point to Spider-Man basically saying, look, I, I bested the beast. I'm going to release him and you're free to go and I'm not going to hunt anymore. You go go do your thing. Like I'm better than you. I did this. Now shove off. <laughs> right.
0: Right. It just took him like you know what was it 20 years to do it. Right. I think was it Craven's first appearances. I think it's amazing Spider-Man number 15. So that would be like what 64, 65 somewhere around there. So that I think that was 1988,
1: 1987. Yeah, so it was, only I mean, took him I mean, it Spider-Man years. 15 when he first appeared, yeah. Yeah. So, it took him a while.
0: <laughs> it took him a while, yeah. I mean, Spider-Man can be like, whatever, dude. I bested you like 100 times, but, you know, one out of 100, okay. <laughs>
1: I'll give it to you. And you still didn't kill me, so.
0: <laughs> yeah, but it was, dude, the scene where he shoots Spider-Man after getting him in the net. Right. And he's like, what are you doing? His face is different. He's, You know what I mean? You're, yeah. you're just like, it's coming. and And I remember being like, 13 years old and I was a huge Spider-Man and fan at that time. You know what I mean? That was my, that was what I collected more than anything else. Right. And I just remember seeing that scene going, I I almost, I almost thought he really killed him. (laughs) You you know, even though you know he's not, he's not really killed (laughs) him. You know what I mean? Because it's Spider-Man, it's Peter Parker. But at the same time, you're like, it was so, it was done in such a dramatic fashion and such a great way that, you know, I can't, I would do that as a movie and call it Craven and make it rated R, because you can't have that scene. You can't have that last scene, no, with with him and not have it. It's too violent, and 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 plus the whole concept of vermin eating people. It's too it's too right. violent. You have to be rated R. It's not about the language because you don't have to have any language throughout the whole thing,
1: right? You know what I mean? It's with the violence on there. Now, if they if they if they made a movie out of it, like the best way to make that make the movie and have it be you know good wouldn't would call be, it Spider-Man. I wouldn't even call it a Spider-Man movie. I'd call it Craven. No. But what you would have to do is you would have to have, have Craven introduced in a Spider-Man film, right? Yeah. As a character. And then then after, you know, have spider maybe Spider-Man 2, you introduce Kraven as a secondary character somehow, right? And then right. Spider-Man 3 comes out. And then you release Craven with Spider-Man. But it doesn't really matter for Spider-Man because it's mostly, it's mostly going to be all Kraven. I mean, spider Man's going to be in the, the beginning and the end of the movie. That's it.
0: Kind of like how you use Batman – in Suicide Squad, right, exactly, yeah, but a little bit. I mean, a little bit more because he is. I mean, it's just it's kind of funny because Craven becomes the protagonist, and man the antagonist during that con- during that whole struggle. Right, it's the all in could,
1: Craven's mind. The movie could be good. They'd have to do less narration of it and more.
0: No, you could do it totally like um Gumshoe style. Like the director's cut of Blade Runner where you hear Harrison Ford narrate yeah. the movie as a gumshoe and I you could totally do it and I mean obviously he's not a gumshoe but I mean you could do it in <laughs> that, that style of of narration and it would it would work. I think it would work. Because you have to hear those inner thoughts.
1: Yeah, you do. I mean, you're right. Because he goes through and, and they kind of build up to the end, like without that, and he builds up the, the whole
0: thing. Year. You know that something's going to happen. Because if you go back, being older now and reading it and not having more of an understanding of what he's saying, you know, he talks about his mother and they're saying that she was insane and that she killed herself. And he's saying that she didn't, but really, she probably did kill herself,
1: right? If you'd like to hear the rest of that, you go ahead and to the website, seapod.net, and just look for craven's last 100, or go to our second episode or any podcatcher. or just scroll back to the beginning back to all 300 or however many episodes there have been and look for that episode and check it out it's, it's a it's interesting you know we were still learning but it's a lot of fun so anyways thanks for listening